Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Saturday Morning Coffee. It's Not About Me, a reflection by Diane Pendergraft, originally posted at thegloriousTable.com. All scripture quotes are from the English Standard Version unless otherwise noted. Recently, while studying the book of Ephesians, it occurred to me that the Apostle Paul wouldn't be any more popular now than he was in his day. Sure, he had his converts. Yes, Christians were turning the world upside down. But there has never been a time when the majority welcomed what he called good news. What came through loud and clear to me is a message that can be hard for 21st century ears to endure. It's not about me. After a brief salutation, Paul plunges directly into praise. This can get lost if we focus on the catalog of blessing, choosing, and predestination. He makes it clear that the choosing and predestination were accomplished before the foundation of the world, so we certainly haven't done anything to deserve it. Paul continues to pile on the praise. We have redemption, forgiveness, lavish grace, and inheritance. These are all gifts to acknowledge and be thankful for, but let's look at what we're told here about how and why God did this. We see in verse 4 that God's intention is that we should be holy and blameless before him, which is to say, we are to be set apart and without blemish, consecrated and spotless. Because God is holy, this is the only condition in which we can stand in his presence. This is why we're admonished, though we must live in this world, not to be worldly. God wants us to be in his presence, but blemished, unholy creatures won't be tolerated. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes, quote, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of grace, end quote, 2 Corinthians 9.15. With his perfect knowledge, God did the choosing according to the eudokia of his will, that is, the good pleasure, benevolence, or good intention of his will. From before the foundation of the world, God was thinking of the good he willed for us. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Quote, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us, end quote. Ephesians 1, 7-8. He made his abundant grace overflow on us. In madly outrageous love? No. How miserable we would be if God's will were insanely intemperate, like the gods of mythology. We can be thankful that he did this in all his wisdom and prudence according to his eudokia, his good intention. Ephesians 1, 8. He made the mystery of his will known to us according to his purpose, quote, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, end quote, Ephesians 1, 9. Plan here comes from a word that is applied to the manager of a household. There is great comfort in the fact that God is wisely stewarding his plan for the fullness of time. Nothing will take him by surprise, and he will accomplish his goal of uniting all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, Ephesians 1.10. Quote, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. End quote. Ephesians 1.11 We were predestined according to the design or determination of the considered decision of his will. There are no accidents. But what is the purpose of God working out his deliberately considered will? Quote, that we who were the first to a hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. To summarize the rest of chapter 1, Paul prays that we will be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so that we can perceive clearly, thereby having the ability to join Paul in further praise of our all-powerful Lord and Savior. Chapter 2 begins with a reminder of what miserable sinners we are, following the lead of the prince of the power of the air, just like everyone else, but for God. Rich in mercy, through his great love, he raised us from life to death with Christ through his grace. Were we saved in ourselves so that we could boast in ourselves? Of course not. We were saved so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Quote, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. End quote. Ephesians 2.10 What's all this for? In Christ we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Ephesians 2.22 Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4.12. When each part of the body is working to full capacity, it grows so that it builds itself up in love, Ephesians 4.16. Our speech should be only what is good for the building up, Ephesians 4.29. There is a lot of work going on here. The reformed thief is now supposed to work so he can share with anyone who has a need. We are to speak only words that build up. The phrase translated be kind in verse 432 is from a word that means to be fit for any good use. God deliberately chooses us, saves us, and forgives us to the praise of his glory. As his workmanship, we should be maturing in Christ so we can love each other, build each other up, and be fit for any good use. Though I have salvation, forgiveness, and am being sanctified and made spotless, it seems plain that this isn't all about me. It isn't all about me. Quote, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. End quote. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21.